0: Hello and welcome back to the Song Uncovered podcast. Izzy and Archie here from Ferris and Sylvester.
1: On this show, we are interviewing some of our favourite artists and songwriters about a particular song that we love of theirs that has influenced us in some way.
0: We want these episodes to be an open conversation, artist to artist, and hopefully we'll uncover some of the detail and devotion that goes into writing these amazing songs.
1: At the end of the episode, we'll be covering the chosen song of the podcast ourselves and attempting to do it justice.
0: Brought to you together with the Americana Music Association UK, a community that celebrates all strands of Americana and roots music in the UK and across the pond.
1: This is a very special episode for us. We've been huge fans of these guys for a while now and their albums have been on constantly throughout lockdown. Nobody does modern soul quite like them and we've been itching to speak to them about their process. Please welcome Sam from the Teskey Brothers and their epic song, Paint My Heart.
0: Their album Run Home Slow came out in 2019 and we can remember listening to it for the first time in a car and it's almost like you're being transported right back to the 60s. You could be in Sun Studios in Memphis or Stax and it's just a great sound and we couldn't believe that they're an Australian band from the modern day. It's totally effortless and fresh. We're so happy to have Sam on the show. Welcome, Sam.
1: Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, we're good. How are you?
2: Good,
1: good. Thank you so much for speaking with us. We're such a fan of both of the records, but especially this one. It's very special. Ah, oh,
2: cool. Cheers. We just put out a um, little live live one as well, which is a lot of fun. So the
0: live record is brilliant. Got... I need to talk yeah. to you about about that because I know that you do a lot. Yeah. You do a lot of engineering as well, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. I had the mad idea about we want to record the whole thing to take the whole um the whole performance. Oh wow! So um. And we kind of ran the stage as like two completely separate setups. So we just double mic'd everything pretty much. So one right. complete setup purely for the analog recording. Nice. And then all the other mics were just going to the front of house at a band. So it was a lot of fun. 12, 12 reels of tape later, we had um, we had all the shows recorded down to tape. You know? We love recording in that way. Like it's, I mean, I, I do especially. I kind of got fascinated by it when I kind of got sick of computers and realized how much work's involved in digital recording and not being able to self-mediate, like, how many tracks you use. You know, you kind of usually go overboard with uh, all sorts of things and then kind of recording in this really simple way, it kind of brings things back to the music in a sense. As soon as you start, like, adding in too much stuff, there's not enough field of space to, for um, all these instruments to go into two speakers, you know. So I think simplifying things has been my greatest lessons that I've learned over the years, I think. Yeah, simple, simple as always seems to work out better, you know. Heavy
3: traffic, on empty skies, empty streets, fear minds. I bare my heart, but some and I'll leave it all I it all to you
0: Some of the conversations that we've been having on the show, we've been chatting to various different musicians, is about limitations. And about mm. how when you're recording digitally, you basically don't have any limitations because you can have as many tracks as you like. And as you say, you can go, oh, I don't know, let's let's record that. We might use it. And I t- totally agree. It's like a waste of time. Mm. Let's make the decision there. And then we're really into that as well. Yeah. We haven't tracked a tape before, but no, um,
1: i love to totally yeah. into
0: the idea that get the sound right. That you want to record
2: well yeah that's it and, and that's the, the process that I've found is so important and, and and also committing to things as you're recording as well like I, I always find like when you're say a drum kit you know when I'm recording a drum kit it's one of those things where you you, you put the mics in place you get it sounding really good in the room and then you know everything's all like uh, multi-track but if you can mix those drums down to two channels right there and then you usually kind of get to stay in that zone of what it sounded like on the day. Whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like you never get that back every time you try and remix things. And so I've kind of been really getting into just committing to like drum mixes as well and just putting them in there because especially with analog recording, you have to because every time you pull up the mix, you're pulling up fresh every time. Committing to things just always seems to get a better result. So, yeah, it's been really cool lessons kind of just. Yeah. And
1: with, am I right in saying that you actually had quite a lot to do with both the studio records? So engineered, run home slow, and did you produce the first album?
2: Yeah. Well, I guess me and Brendan were the masterminds behind that that album. That was actually probably when I first got my tape machine, and so we were kind of very excited about seeing how far we could push it with the tape machine and seeing how much we could keep it in that world. And it ended up being, you know, we just we just stayed there the whole time. We didn't we didn't really ever use a computer until. Until the master stage, where we just where we dumped it down to a um like a digital master, so two channels just into the computer, and uh, we used that as our sort of master machine. I guess it was a really cool experience to sort of get to use the machine in that way. And I'd already been building up my studio for for many years, and yeah, me and Brendan just were really excited about it, and just laid everything down. But at that stage, we were kind of really doing it for the fun of it. We're releasing it, thinking that we would sell you know, maybe 300 copies or whatever, just like, just get the minimum pressing. You know, we thought that oh, we'd have to press the vinyl because we did it off the tape. So we thought, oh, we'll, we'll press it to vinyl for sure. And that means we've got it for ourselves. You know, most people would buy CDs, you know, but believe it or not, like most people are buying records. So we kind of sold just as many records as we did CDs. And, and then of course, we got picked up around the world and whatnot. And so we, we sold a lot more records than we thought, <laughs> which was a pretty funny experience to kind of learn the whole process of the music industry that way, you know, kind of backwards, we sort of released our album and then and then had to play catch-up with, like, what the music industry sort of meant. Like, um, so, so it was a, it was a really, uh, yeah, really interesting interesting time that was.
3: The coming Don't let it stay I know I try Good
2: Sorry, these panels, and you got the back here. You got a little bit of studio sort of thing happening. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. this is our this is our little space for in the southwest of the UK, Wiltshire. We've been building this studio sort of through lockdown, and I had Izzy help me with the panels at the back. Yeah, yeah. So we've spent the whole time in lockdown in here writing and working and and what have you. We don't have a tape machine. What oh, tape great. machine do you use?
2: I've got a um, Studer A800. I thought so, you were going to
0: say um, Studer. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I
2: did say yes. Yeah, Studer Studer A800s. It's quite a modern machine as far as tape machines go. So it's it's one of the later machines that were built, but by that stage, tape machines got quite advanced, I guess. So it's it's quite a serious machine, <laughs> which is cool. So it's, it's beautifully built and, and and well designed and stuff like that, but it's it's got a lot of a lot of detail, I guess, in the making. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong with it. We we get by, you know, it, it um it, it always it wouldn't be a recording session if it if it didn't yeah. sort of play up. Even all these bad features that you might say about tape are kind of, they add, add, a, add a sort of a character, you know, and the crosstalk mm-hmm. as well. Sometimes you get, mm-hmm. you get kind of little echoes and crosstalk that just creep in there on other channels and it it all becomes a part of the background, you know, the print through of the previous vocal take or something like that. You might just hear in the background just slightly. And it's, it's all, they're all memories and processes of like, of the recording, you know, and it, it's really kind of nice to listen to. Like you'll, You'll hear if you listen to like our first album, particularly while we're still kind of learning to wield the tape machine, you'll notice there's a few, um, you know, little bits of talking like through it that have tried to be deleted, but they're, sort of, they're they're printed into the tape, so you can't really get rid of them.
1: I think that kind of makes it quite special. It's funny, I'm, yeah. I'd love to record on tape and I think it would really work for our sound, but I'm also thinking about like even yesterday we were recording like guitar and and I recorded like over the drum track or something. And obviously yeah. it's digital, so you can just, you know,
0: command there you know, oh, you and you're yeah. fine. I was
1: just thinking like, God, if that were tape or something, I'd have wrecked the track like already, yeah. you know, all those, all those mistakes. Yeah. I
0: mean, there's a learning curve to working <laughs> with tape, but your, your records, it sounds like, you know, you put them on, whether you listen in headphones, speakers, stereo system or whatever. I feel like you're transported, you're in stacks. you're in Memphis, like Sun Records. You've got that vibe totally nailed. Is that something you've been going for? Or? I think
2: it's yeah, it's definitely a lot more than than the tape. I guess like I think the, the main key I think is the simplicity because you listen to a lot of the old stacks recordings and you hear some of the questionable tuning and some of the horns. Yeah, and so it, it's one of those things. But these are absolute classic records that you hear this this um, really uncomfortable tuning on, and mm. and you just wonder like, okay, you, when you're in the room when you when you're recording at that time, you're like, oh. Know we can do that better, we can clean that up. You know, you don't really have that option when you're when you're on tape. You know, you kind of have to make those calls on the fly. And I think by the end of it, you do get little imperfections through the music. And I think the imperfections are sort of what gives those old recordings that real tangible sound. You know, like it's something that you don't hear very often in in a lot of modern music, and especially like modern soul recording, like it's usually very perfect and like. It kind of takes away from that that rawness, and so you, we kind of miss that these days with with having the the ability to make everything perfect. So to say, it's all the tape machine. You know, you can definitely <laughs> achieve these you can definitely achieve these qualities. You know, using a computer, like no worries. You know, with tape emulations, you get the same sounds, everything. You just got to be really, I guess, brutal with like how much time you spend on things and stay in the moment and try and do things in a quick manner, I guess.
1: I kind of love that cuz it feels like your ethos as a band is to embrace and actually, you know, purposefully put in those limitations, embrace the kind of human mistakes. And fundamentally that only works when the musicians are good and the songs are good. I and mean, I think it's a very rare thing when you have mm. both of those things that you've got the songs and you've got the music. You know, they kind of speak for themselves. So having those limitations in there and having the human mistakes just enhance what
2: you do. Those li- limitations and mistakes are, are a character of a sound. You know, they make it different to other things that you hear because it's very hard to play the same mistake twice or, you know, things like that. It's, <laughs> you know, it's just sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not, but you just have to like, yeah, kind of abide with it.
1: Yeah, and roll yeah. with it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when it's your own project. I mean, I'm sure you guys listen to it and you can hear all of that. You can hear all like the mistakes or or how you've done yeah. it differently. Mistakes is a wrong word.
0: Imperfections. It's Imperfections exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure you hear them but obviously we don't and we just hear it as, you know, something something real.
0: We wanted to ask about Paint My Heart from mm. the second album. It's an incredible track, and we just wanted to dive into the detail of how did you guys, what was the sort of process behind writing that track?
2: Well, the, yeah, so that wrote that probably quite short when we first started touring, really, after releasing the first album, and actually wrote that track in London, where like the first idea of The Lion Came, Heavy Traffic on Empty Skies, there's so many planes flying around in, in the in the sky so I just was just, just like looked up at the, the plane fly by and that's where the song kind of started from there wow. you know but then just just del- delving to the, the story kind of just took from there you know like I think all, all my songs sort of start in that way like it's just you might be somewhere and just see something and then it's the beginnings of a song and then it, it starts to unfold unfold about what what it means because you're sort of you're feeling all sorts of emotions like I was you know, I was away from family a lot of that time. I have a young one. So, this was the first sort of time I've been touring and we were just navigating that. And so, it was really about just pouring our hearts out to each other over such a long distance, you know, and just, and, and so that's kind of was the, where the sort of lyrics kind of came from was just that sort of, that stress of, of, of communication in this, in this way from a distance, you know, and, um, yeah, that was that energy. And then, then musically, it kind of just unfolded over, over that year. As as I was kind of very influenced by Joe Cocker at that time, similarities of you know, with a little help from my friends, I was just loving that. And ah, like, oh, can we do something like a bit like that, you know? And and yeah. um, just as the intro, you know, just to kind of really, really bring it out. And yeah, I I was like sometimes get a bit funny with time, tempos and times and time signatures and whatnot, just because I, I and I'm not very technically minded, so. It's usually a real tough around for Brendan and Liam, and the drummer and the bass player to try and decipher what I what I mean. I can't explain it in technical audio in technical like sort of music terms. Yeah. Um so, so they, they usually get a little bit frustrated with me, which is all right. But I, you know, I, I um, try and convey it the best I can. And it usually takes a little while of of honing to really get the feels right and get it sort of you know working out That that song in particular was something that I think we did actually. Like five or six takes of it in the studio. So we so we tracked five or six takes in in the studio, and we're sort of still figuring it out as a band while we're recording it as well. We ended up using like three of those takes, kind of joined together. This was my first attempt of uh, splicing the two inch two inch tape, you know. Yeah. And, um oh. it's, it's amazing how well tape splices together. You know, like yeah. the automatic crossfades on on a tape is just like yeah, just. It just sounds kind of quite flawless. Luckily, with that song, there's heaps of big open, like pauses and spaces to do really good clean chops. What happened I at just the end? To be that way. Yeah, at the, at um, the end you've got the
0: hard cut, right? You just obviously oh. got bored of splicing it and went. <laughs> Um, that'll do I love well, that
2: that was that was something we added in it's a
0: good effect though because you don't you don't see it coming because you've got the build and you're like here we go we're kicking off again and then here it's we just go like again, yeah. bang and it's not even like a, like a fade out I love that it's just like yeah. end that's yeah. the end of that yeah. that's enough of that yeah. next song
3: in a letter
1: You got some really cool stuff like that scattered through the album. I mean, it, I love the first ten seconds of the record. Of
2: yeah, Run home yeah. slow. Was that deliberate? It was, uh, yeah. it was kind of cool to have that false start, and also because you know, with our first album, you know, it did what it did, and then there was. There's always a lot of pressure for the second album, like you know. So it was kind of a, a cool thing just to be like, right at the very start of the thing, just just do the false start, throw kind them of like, off, yeah, and just throw them off and just sort of break that ice a little bit. It's like, hey, it doesn't need to be this perfect, polished produced thing that was actually a mistake at the beginning of the track but then we just left it in there because it, it was like one of those things that just always stayed there I'm like hey let's just leave that there you know why not just leave it there the
1: listener yeah. is then instantly sort of
2: engaged with the process a bit like and you're like oh they're actually people like in the room recording this rather than it being like this this is a produced product of music you know and I get yeah. that um same thing when I listen to the first Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac
0: yeah, um, oh, my favorite, my yeah. absolute favorite. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, so so their their album, maybe just the first album, I don't know if yeah, first release or, or whatever, they've got all of the outtakes, you know, they take I think nine goes at trying to get the start and then they all talk, you know, like no, you got to start on the close, <laughs> you know, start on the close. And you just feel really connected to them all in the studio and the engineer and then you can hear talking as well saying, Oh, do it again! Oh, come on, that was all right. Well yeah,
0: yeah. that one? <laughs> I'm constantly yeah. trying to get somewhere near his guitar, but I've I've realised that no one ever will. So, yeah, it's, you know,
2: yeah, that's okay. Everyone has, their unique their unique sort of way of playing, and so I don't see things as being better or worse. Or you know, it's just it's just individual characters. But I'm definitely, yeah, the big fan of Peter Green's work and his yeah, his balance between the three volume pots which there's yeah. like, you know, to get, I think to get the perfect sound, you've got to have perfect balance of these three volume pots. The first volume pot's how hard you play with your fingers. Yeah, the yeah. second one's the pot on your guitar. Then the third is the guitar volume itself, like the, the amp volume. And between those three, you know, it's it's about finding that perfect tone right before distorted. And there's, there's a sort of a sweet spot there. And I think Peter Green really had control of those three different stages of volume control.
0: It's That's all in the fingers, it. right? That's all he said. Yeah. And he used out-of-phase pickups. He had his pickups wired out-of-phase by accident. I don't I don't know which one he had which, but I've, <laughs> I've done the same thing to my guitar. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. that was the tone. That was what he was doing. I yeah. don't know whether it's true or not. You can certainly imagine when you listen to the records, and he's got yeah, that yeah, flying it's thing. It's quite
2: a thin sort of sound sometimes. It's like this really sort of yeah, unusual sort of guitar tone. Yeah. So
0: I've had a go at that. and Yeah, you can sort of trick yourself into imagining it sounds like people. But then, and yeah. then yeah and then you go well yeah except i'm not peter green
2: that's the beauty of it like your journey of, of trying to sound like peter green is really just the journey of you finding your own sound we're all influenced by certain people and trying to go up our sound that way but at the end of the day by doing that we just create our own sound you know even yeah. even by singing as well trying to sing like a certain person you'll never sound like that person but yeah you will create your own sound and that's a, a, a real beauty in itself
1: Josh co-write or do you always just kind of write songs and bring them in?
2: Everything sort of develops in different ways. We all sort of write songs. So me, Josh, Brandon and Liam, we all kind of separately write our songs and we bring them to the table and then we sort of work on it from there. But then sometimes we get in a room together and we really just jam out ideas and they sort of happen quite naturally with all all of us in the room. But there's, I feel like there's a lot of different processes for us I get very caught up in my own creative space and write a lot of songs just on my own. I think that's that's somewhere where I sit really comfortably when I have a break or when 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 I'm not on tour. I mean, even when I'm on tour, I push myself to write songs I really like. I think some of the other guys, you know, really thrive on being all together in the room to really bring out their creative juices. So we all kind of write in different ways. And I know Josh is big on that as well. He doesn't write too much, you know, by himself, but you know, when we put a groove behind something, then he then he just starts singing all this and it's pretty like it's pretty magic what comes out. And that's usually the yeah, you know, the most special songs really, I think, when when we're all sort of jamming in the room together and and you know we we always have to voice memo or to record it because Josh won't remember what he's singing. We'll just <laughs> yes. start singing words and, and singing things like, Okay, that line's good. Yep, let's keep that word and you have to go back and listen to him. That, yeah, sing that line and what if you sang that line after that and then it kind of it kind of goes that way. But you just I don't know where they come from, but all these words and all these ideas and melodic ideas just kind of come out and then it sort of it seems to be sort of our job to sort of try and mediate that and try and, you know, pick the best ones of those those takes and, and put them together as a as a full, fully forming sort of song.
0: It, it helps when you've got a voice like Josh's as well, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, definitely. I mean the boy yeah, so Josh, the boy can yeah. sing, right? Yeah, that's right.
1: In your writing, are you more lyrically or musically driven? Do you think?
2: Well, I think a, a while ago I've always struggled with lyrics a lot more. Like, and and I've always uh, melodies and ideas of songs have have always come really easily. Like, first of lines of a song, but then I've always struggled to try and flesh that song idea out to its full, full, complete form. I think in that stress, maybe I realised that the songs actually don't need to be as lyrically heavy as I thought, and the simplicity of the initial lyric was was sufficient, and I sh- and I should have just stuck with that. So the simplicity has been at, like a s- struggle for me, and I think I've just been you know learning um, over lockdown. I've spent a lot of time writing, and um, a lot of time, yeah, thinking about lyrics and words, and and I think yeah, I think it's 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 become that's become a lot easier for me now to sort of just sort of flesh out a song if the lyrics don't come immediately don't don't push them don't like you know pull your hair out trying to find what these lyrics have to be so I've kind of been in this place where I voice record every idea that comes up and then I don't push it I don't try and finish that song or anything I've resulted in having probably like 150 song ideas that are unfinished <laughs> but but it's really easy to to you know listen back to that when I feel creative I can just listen through the voice memos and something will sort of hit me and resonate with me with one of those voice memos and then all of a sudden the song will just be complete just like that I think I've learned to like a dedicated time to songwriting rather than forcing yourself to try and do something when it's really not working my creativity comes when I have a lot of headspace when I'm not and I'm not doing, like, promo, I'm not doing anything. Like, I've got the day off and I don't have anything I need to do and then all of a sudden, like, an idea will kind of pop up or, or a, the end of another song that I haven't finished yet will kind of come to me. So I'm starting to really realise the importance of free time for creative space.
0: you could choose three of your favorite songwriters and steal their attributes that you would like to put into your own songwriting who are the songwriters and what are the
2: attributes that you would steal from each one all right quickfire <laughs> okay Leonard cohen has like this amazing way of writing words i feel like that he he can take the most simple thing you know like Pick the most simple, mundane lyrics, but they just really hit. Example, like "there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in." You know, it's just like, shit. Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's
1: so (laughs) good, so good.
2: They just really hit in so many, so many places. You know, Yeah. Um, yeah, Bob Dylan. So it's like a similar thing. So he's kind of just that same moment of why didn't I think of that lyric? You know, such a simple thing to say, but it's just so, yeah, where did you get that from? Where did it come? Yeah, where did it come yeah. from? It's just very special to me and I always kind of do that. And then then Lena Simone, I think, just has so much like power with her you know her delivery of of everything she sings. Like so, she's just got this amazing energy that just kind of just dominates your ears, I guess, when you listen to it. And lyrically, she can yeah, she can just sing about all sorts of things and whatever she sings about, or whatever song she's singing, even if it's someone else's song, the delivery of it just. It's kind of just profound, so I'm I'm just always mesmerised by what she does to my ears when you know mm-hmm. you know when I'm totally listening to
1: power. It. As you said, it's just the power yeah, of her power, delivery yeah. is insane.
2: Listen, yeah. man, absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank with you for you. your time. Thank you. thank you. Thanks for having me on. That's awesome.
1: To finish, here is our rendition of Paint My Heart by the Teskey Brothers.
3: Pain in my heart with something new, then I'll leave it all. day I'll pay my heart something new then I'll give it all I'll give it all back to you to you.